Welcome to Interlocutor Interviews. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine, which features in-depth coverage of creators, thinkers, performers, and artists of all types. You can check us out online at interlocutorinterviews.com. And if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or contributor via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. So today I've got with me Philippe Lebon, who founded a gallery in New York, which is the first contemporary art gallery in the U.S., specializing in high-end narrative art and illustration. So welcome, Philippe. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Taylor? Good to be here. Happy to have you. Um, Well, so I just would like to start off... um, Hearing about, you know, what what is your core vision with your gallery? Like, first off, how long were you kind of um, kicking around the idea of starting a gallery which specialized in, in comic or narrative art? Because um, you were in finance for most of your career here in New York, but I know that you were a collector of uh, comic art. Um, has this always been kind of a, a dream in the back of your head, something you wanted to ultimately do? That's a, that's a good question. Um I was always surprised that there was no gallery in the, no physical large galleries in the United States specializing in comic art, illustration, narrative art. Um, and when uh, I started collecting, which was in 1999, I believe, with a, a small purchase of a small drawing by Moebius, and and, and there was a small, one small gallery in Paris and it was, it was beautiful, but it was pretty small and most of the items were not framed and it was very raw. Um, as I kept collecting, I was working in finance. I could, I could afford just to start a, a collection. I was collecting. I noticed that there were more and more galleries opening in Europe, really, uh, focusing on that and, uh, on that line. And, um, it's, I believe that today there are seven, seven galleries in Paris alone specializing in narrative art. Um, there are three in Brussels. Um, there's one in Switzerland. I mean, it's, it's absolutely uh, a growing, uh, market, uh, in the art world. And I was always surprised that every time there was an amazing, um, either exhibit or an auction, um, I often enough I had to travel to Paris or to Brussels to see it, and when I got tired of finance, uh, which happens once in a while, when I got tired of finance, I there was no way I I cannot sit sit still, and there was no way I was not going to do something. And the idea of having a, a gallery focused on that just um, started about 2015, 2016. By 2019, I left my firm, and within a week of leaving the firm, I I set up my uh, my company and. The rest is history. <laughs> now, is that Art Nine? Because I had read that you'd established an association. Art right, Nine. that is correct. I started as a, the name of the LLC is Art Nine Comics mm-hmm. LLC, but I'm a DBA. I do business as Philippe Labon uh, Gallery. But at the beginning, when I wanted to test a little bit the water, I just wanted to. I, I first I, I wanted to find a short lease, a couple of years maybe, but it was impossible to rent in Chelsea, and I wanted to be in Chelsea just for the purpose of bringing it up to a certain level. I mean, 
it's hard enough to explain comic art. If you are going to start in a basement somewhere, I mean, you're shooting yourself in the foot. So you really had to go pretty big. So I was looking for a gallery in Chelsea. And um, a lot of galleries had a problem with my, my, my artistic line. Pretty much they couldn't understand comics. They just didn't understand there was a market. And I got turned down a few times. Um, call it snobism. I don't know. It was weird. Hmm. Um, so I, what I did in 2020, um, I, I did uh, set up an exhibit, uh, for three weeks in a, in a gallery in Chelsea. It was really, really, <coughs> it was a pop up. Um, right. Was that the, the Danis Corey? It was at the Danis Corey gallery. Um, she has closed since then. Um, she closed during the pandemic, but, um, the pandemic hit, um, it was, then everything went, went to a halt. I didn't know what I was going to do if I was going to go back to finance. The, the pop-up was kind of, we had a lot of press, but from a sales standpoint, it was, it wasn't great. Um, couple of things happened. Um, First of all, uh, a large, very important American collector and institution um, decided to purchase uh, a, a big, big chunk of the collection that uh, we presented a few months before. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly with the pandemic, my phone started ringing and people were not so much afraid of my artistic line anymore as long as I could afford some kind uh, of a rent. Um, <laughs> and that's how I was able to really get a prime, prime spot in Chelsea, right across from Gagosian, um, with beautiful, beautiful galleries in my street and be able to present it the way it should be presented, which is well lit, framed, mm -hmm. um, with a story, with a PR, with explaining where is that artist coming from and all that rather than, you know, staple on the wall and you have 2500 <laughs> right. uh, illustration you're looking at and you don't know what you're looking at actually. yeah so do you think that that large purchase sort of legitimized uh it in the like this type of work in the uh, art in the art world and helped you get a foothold in chelsea or mm, kind of hard to say or? it's hard to say and yeah. it was an institution so it wasn't so much of a private client you oh, know? I see. Yeah. so um i it just felt good it, yeah. uh, to be honest with you, it felt really, oh, of really course. good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, and to be honest, for the, for the short story, I was, I was actually working on LinkedIn, updating my profile the same day I got that order. And I just turned <laughs> off my computer and I never looked at my resume again. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was kind of perfect timing. It must have. Yeah, it felt great. Wow, it, felt, it, felt, it felt great. It took me four or five months to find a gallery and then what happens? My God, I have to put up a show. So it was, that was weird too. I mean, yeah. It was a lot happening at the same time. It's a lot. You had to learn a lot kind of on the fly as they say, you know. Right? I made yeah. so many mistakes. I think I made them all. So. <laughs> <laughs> no more mistakes to make. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, your interest in comics goes pretty far back. Um, and I want to mention, uh, to our listeners that, uh, Philippe and I, we did an interview, um, a pretty detailed interview, um, back in, uh, last summer, it was like August of, uh, 2022. 
um, in the online edition of Interlocutor. Um, and at that time, you had a show called Narrative. It was quite a large group show. And so we talked a lot about that. But we also got into your origins of interest in, the, in, in comic art. Um, and, and what's the French term for it? Bande dessinée, or BD, which is just the abbreviation BD, Bande dessinée, which means drawn strips. <laughs> Very descriptive, yeah. Very descriptive. Um, and so, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you, you, and we had, you know, you, we had touched on this in the original interview, but, uh, for people who haven't read it, um, it started way back and you had a, you had a deep passion for comic art. Um, you connected with it very closely as a kid. So, um, what was the origins of that? What well, attracted you to it? That's a, that's a, that's a great question. But in France and Belgium, Switzerland, Italy, I mean, comic art, comics are really highly regarded. They are a very popular form of entertainment and, um, there is a market uh, for every person, for every age. For it's 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 an important uh, part of our heritage. And when I grew up, my so my parents bought uh, Tintin and uh, Spio and you know some magazine. And then my brother, um, then they moved. My brother were pretty big collector of comic books and they also got all the magazines and um, they were passed around and a lot of stuff was really not age appropriate but didn't <laughs> seem to, to nobody seemed to care in my in my household and um, it's uh, I I really really like a lot of French people I just I just love comic books and uh, very, very different style. Um, however, what happened is, unfortunately, I, I lost a, a father at a young age and a brother a few mm. years later. And um, every time, don't forget, the time there was no phone and there was one TV in the house. Uh, every time they, was, they were both sick for quite some time and I was sent, I was the youngest one, I was sent to my room. And in my room, the only thing... Uh, the thing that I would go first, especially if I was hurt, was or if I was hurting, was comic books. Um, you you can lose yourself in a comic for an hour. You can lose yourself in a, yourself in a comic book for, for for five minutes. It doesn't really matter, and you yeah. can read the same comic book over and over again, which is so rare, especially in this day and age where we have so much information. Well, yes, we comic books is one of the things where you can go back and, yeah. and take the same pleasure yeah. and i fell in love i just fell in love with comic books and, I, and they also helped me stay sane or <laughs> yeah some kind of sane <laughs> <laughs> better than yeah some kind of insane I yes. guess. <laughs> um well yeah it sounds like uh especially since you didn't have other forms of entertainment you know you say you only had one tv um, and probably not a, lot, not a lot of programming available at that time. Um, also, you uh, returning to these works, these comic works, you were kind of um, out of necessity, had to find deeper layers or different layers or different probably perceptions and interpretations of the work, um, you know, because that was your sole form of kind of solace and entertainment. Right. And it also sounds to me in Europe in general, and especially France, um, uh, going farther back, uh, comics that and illustrative art, um, 
whereas it were appreciated by a wider range of the population, you know, whereas I would think in the U S you know, for a long time, comics, and especially comics were associated with, you know, like Marvel or DC comics, you know, superhero, you know, um, content. And, uh, it was a little more marginalized, right. And, and thought of more for children or for kids, you know, and it was a juvenile pursuit, right. But it doesn't sound like that was kind of the cultural attitude towards comics at all. Yeah, when no, you were growing up. No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, and <clears throat> uh, not even that long ago, I mean, a lot of people that were obsessed with superheroes, mom. I mean, sometimes, you know, oh, nerds of, you know, it's, <laughs> you got this perception in, in the US. Is, I, I don't know that. No, we never had it because our grandparents, our parents are the one that provide us provided us with this entertainment form. And so it was, we didn't, there was no stigma. Uh, actually, you pretty much, if you didn't know, like, you know, the main characters of the main comic books, you were kind of a weird. Uh, it was a little <laughs> bit the other way around because it was wow. so part of who we are and what we did when we grew up. I mean, yeah. It was really, really important. So could you list off like what are, you know, um, two or three of the big, the big comics uh, characters and, and uh, storylines? From that era. I, I will start with Tintin, uh, for better or worse. I mean, there, there, there is some controversy associated with, uh, as uh, the work of RJ, but, uh, I do believe that Tintin, the quality of the writing, the drawing, um, the storytelling, it's, 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 it's a rhythm. It, it put every, it's, it was a, a new standard, uh, as far as uh, comic books uh, were concerned. Um, uh, I would also say that Franquin, who is a creator of Gaston and Spirou, uh, and was, and of, of course, uh, Idenoir, which was, uh, uh, dark, uh, ideas, which during, that he did during his, uh, he had a nervous breakdown. Those, uh, this, as far as I'm concerned, this is one of also of the most important, uh, uh, drawer and artist, uh, in the field, um, because of his style is all, he also changed everything, uh, and the way there was so much energy in his drawing, um, compared to Tintin, which is more flat and still, mm. um, it was a totally different angle to comics and that changed a lot, uh, of the, of whatever happened after. And then I would probably go to Moebius because mm -hmm. Moebius, uh, aka Jean Giraud, Jean Giraud, aka Moebius, um, started in, as in comic books doing, uh, Lieutenant Blueberry, which was a cowboy story and, um, very interesting, um, um, with very deep, um, the, 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 character, the main character was from the south, but was fighting for the north. And there was, there was quite a political, a historical, um, uh, background to every story. And his drawing became amazing and better and better. And you can read it through the series that he's getting to a point where, where, I mean, he could, I don't think at some point he couldn't get better. And that's when it, it totally, 
he decided to change his style. He changed his name and became Moebius and started to do sci-fi, crazy sci-fi. Mm -hmm. um, one of his most well-known pieces written by uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky is called The Inca. Um, doesn't always make sense, but it's an amazing story. Um, and, and the drawing, uh, we've never seen something like that. Totally different, totally futuristic, totally simple, but I don't, I can't find the word. <laughs> um, did most of these artists also write their material? It depends. Um, okay. It really depends. Some did, some did for a series, didn't do it for another series, or it's, it's, there is no, there are very few artists today that do both their own story, their color, and, uh, the drawing. I mean, it's, right. uh, it gets a little bit regimented. Uh, RJ, Brought his own stories, but then again, maybe he was helped a little bit on the side. We don't, we don't know. He had a studio behind him also. So it's, it depends. Right. Well, I was just intrigued by, um, it sounds like the, the quality of the storytelling and the writing is almost literary, you know, like there, are, there's depth to it, right? Um, it's not, you know, I, it, I, going back to this distinction and, you know, like in the U.S. between U.S. and Europe with comic art, um, I, you know, I think there was a perception that also the writing, the content, the storyline were also not exactly, you know, multi-layered or deep or whatever, you know, but it sounds like, um, and this may be just tapping, tapping into literary traditions in, in Europe in general and the importance of, of literature, you know, uh, in, you know, culturally in Europe versus, you know, uh, the U S where obviously we have, you know, our own high, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't really like these distinctions, but you know, you have like genre literature, you know, books, which are just straight up you know, like sci-fi or romance or whatever. And then like, you know, highbrow literature, right. You know, <laughs> and I'm not even sure if those distinctions are really, if, if, the, if literature, if books and just strictly, you know, like books are thought of that way in Europe. Um, are they? They are. Yeah. They are. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I would imagine, yeah. but, um, maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, um, credence given to uh you know liter literary works in europe um just on, at a cultural level and more wider acceptance of that which probably you know uh, corresponds with you know the, the the type of content the high quality content of the the comic work i agree yeah um in fact, you know, this is interesting. Uh, I recently interviewed this artist, Vaughn Cumming Sumner, who, uh, did this whole series. He's, he's done a few series actually on Crazy Cat. And Crazy Cat, um, you know, uh, I had heard of Crazy Cat. Um, and this is an American example, I would say, of kind of what we're, you know, like a parallel to what we're talking about with the Europeans. Uh, you know, Crazy Cat was created by, um, this, uh, biracial artist, George Harriman, who grew up in New Orleans. And, uh, it goes back to, you know, I think 1915 or even earlier. And it ran all the way through the forties. And it was the first, uh, kind of crossover, you know, comic to fine arts, like, because I think by the forties, there was a recognition by, um, you know, quote unquote, fine artists. This is actually 
high art, you know, and the artistry, I'm sure you're well you know, familiar sure. with, with crazy cat, uh, you know, is, is very distinctive. Um, and you know, has a, has a unique look to it, but also content wise, it was way ahead of its time. Um, crazy cat was kind of now has been reassessed as sort of the first gender fluid character, right? Cause <laughs> it was never clear what gender crazy cat was, you know? Uh, and, uh, anyways, this artist, uh, I, I did, I did a podcast with him, um, uh, a few weeks ago and he, he has sort of recontextualized crazy cat, just crazy cat. Cause there was a couple of other main characters, you know, sure. there's, uh, Ignat's mouse, you know, who, uh, crazy cats in love with, <laughs> Ignatz yeah. Knoss, it's kind of an abusive relationship. <laughs> There's Bricks at, Bricks at Crazy Cat and Office of Pup who kind of, you know, uh, tries to stop the, ma- you know, the, the madness. Ignatz, yeah, the madness. But it, it, uh, I, you know, and when I was talking, uh, um, to this artist, it just, I, I, I was, you know, reflecting on just the incredible amount of storytelling from this simple setup, um, you know, that, that this artist got, um, and, uh, he noted that it was kind of rooted in vaudeville too, you know, kind of simple slapsticky setups, but then, you know, he really expanded out yep. from that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm just using that as an example of really the only kind of American example that I can think of, um, unless you know of others. Oh, Winsor McKay. What's that? Winsor McKay. Uh, <laughs> Winsor McKay. I, is highly, highly regarded in, in Europe by many artists as really setting up a little bit of the foundation uh, of what comic books will be or should be. Um, Little Nemo is, is absolutely an amazing feat and the storytelling is great and the angles and how he, he the way he drew was also very, very different. He used, um, was thinking of the drawing more as with a, it was like using a camera angle somewhere, somehow, not being as flat as just showing right. what was going on, but showing it using different angles. And, and I'm a huge Winsor McKay fan. Yeah. It, fascinating. Yeah. No, and now that you, now I, I, now that you've mentioned him and I look up little Nemo. I, I love Ariman. Don't get me wrong. I <laughs> love crazy cat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I wasn't completely, um, aware of this sort of contemporary, uh, in Windsor McKay. Um, and he also looked like worked for quite a while. Died, died in 1934. Um, yeah, so there was that element, but so, I guess some at, at some point, like post-war, um, I don't know, I, and there's probably books have been written about this, but um, you know, the superhero kind of style really took over. I feel like um, I would I would guess post-war America through the fifties and sixties, um, and that became in the public consciousness like that's what comics are, and they're for kids for whatever reason, and you know, and and actually, you know, to this to you know, to this day, when I, um, you know, talk to artists that I meet, um, now, now that I like have been wider exposed to crazy cat and was kind of like astonished by the quality of it and the content, um, that still a lot of people haven't heard of crazy cat <laughs> and, you know, crazy cat is so influential is it really kind of literally seems like the first cat and mouse, you know, 
When you uh, like Tom and Jerry, you know, all, all that, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the style of art also, um, I forget who off the top of my head, who did the roadrunner cartoons. Um, it, cause you know, the, you know, crazy cat was set in this, uh, you know, kind of f- fantastical Southwestern, uh, landscape and the roadrunner cartoons, apparently yeah. that, that look was sort of, um, you know, appropriated from right. <laughs> the look of crazy. The Kenyan and yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 And the, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's just an interesting through line, um, that that was also happening in the U S. Um, and you know, uh, the only reason that, uh, Harriman kept going for as long as he did, and it was a new, I don't know if, uh, do you know if, um, Little Nemo was a new, was it, was that also a newspaper strip? It was. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, in, in the case of Crazy Cat, it, it kept going for as long as it did because, uh, William Randolph Hearst was a fan who, of oh, course, yes, ran the, all the newspapers. He's a, a magnet. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't think that, uh, I don't think it ever was a big hit per se, you know, with, with the, with the, with the population, but just because Hearst loved it, he just kept it going and it just gave him a platform. He was a boss. I mean, he, a he, he was, <laughs> he was in charge. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's see. Uh, what are you working on now? What's happening next with the gallery? What's coming up? <laughs> So um, I want to be clear that my gallery is not uh, only showcasing um, European uh, artists. We, uh, That's true, right? We did uh, we, one of our first, our first actually uh, exhibit was uh, Japanese artist was Katsuhiro Otomo, and we were able to have uh, a few uh, drawings. Uh, lend it to us by a collector and we had homages by about 25 artists from all over the world to um, the master, the Japanese master to, to Mr. Otomo um, a lot of, a lot of the exhibit was around Akira but I wanted to celebrate Otomo but his masterpiece being Akira um, but my gallery is not um, only focusing on a new European comics and European artists though I mean that's my specialty, um, because that's where I'm from. Um, however, we are really trying to extend, uh, and have more uh, American artists. I'm very happy that, uh, in September, we are going, um, to tiptoe a little bit into uh, the world of animation. Talking about uh, animation, it's, uh, oh, okay. <clears throat> uh, with Peter DeSev and, uh, Peter, um, while he's well known, of course, for his many covers of The New Yorker, for his many covers of many books, uh, but also he is a, he was a character designer for Ice Age and, and, and many, uh, other, uh, animated movies. And I want to show that side also. I mean, it is storytelling. Right. It is, they are causing comics, animation, they are very, very close to one another. And many comic artists have, uh, crossed to the other side and, and goes both ways. Um, and that's going to be something very, very exciting. And, uh, and we have a, it's going to be a bit, we already have a beginning of a, of a selection. It's going to be really, really gorgeous. And uh, we'll have a lot of, yeah, New Yorker covers and a lot of sketches. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's our September exhibit. Um, in a, in a few weeks, we, st- uh, we are going to start, uh, June 1st, uh, we are starting, uh, Hélène Usdin. Hélène Usdin 
is a French uh, woman, French uh, artist who started her career in photographs. I mean, and and then she moved a little bit away from straight photography. She started to do photography and then paint on them. And then she went to drawing. She always was back and forth with drawing, but she really focused on drawings. And then she went into storytelling and she wrote um, her first comic book, um, 2021, uh, was called René au Bois Dormant. It hasn't been translated yet. Um, and it's... It's a masterpiece, um, for, for, especially for first time. I mean, it's, it's really a masterpiece. It's, the colors are amazing. The, the story is absolutely great. And she wrote, she wrote her own story. Um, it's, um, it's, it, it won, uh, many, many prizes in, in Europe. And, uh, I'm super happy to, to showcase her work in the gallery. And then again, you know, my gallery focuses on comic art, but I'm not going to show only strips by uh, by Ellen. I'm also going to show uh, some of her large illustration. We're going to show some of the work that she did on photographs, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. paint paint on photograph because it's very interesting and it's very it tells a story. There is a narrative. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, yes, I do a lot of comic art, I mean, straight strips, but this, we, we're moving a little bit on the side way. I want to introduce her to the United States. That's really my goal because right. she is an amazing artist. Um, and yeah, and by the end of the year, we'll have, um, in no- starting November 1st or 2nd, uh, we'll have an American, another American artist called Miles Hyman, which we presented, um, about two years, two, it will be two and a half years ago. Um, and Miles, uh, just finished a graphic novel, um, about two months ago. He's working, uh, on, uh, a graphic, also a graphic novel, not really a comic book. It's it's really a graphic novel uh, with Guillaume Musso, who is a very well-known French writer who decided this year that he doesn't want to write. He wants to do a graphic novel, so he's collaborating with Miles Hyman. And, and yeah. he's probably one of the top three uh, writers in France right now. As far as sales, as far as notoriety is concerned. So, yeah. uh, the, and he's coming, I, I believe the artist and the writer are coming uh, to, to, to showcase the work at the gallery. And, but same thing, we'll showcase some, some strips and we'll have also some paintings, illustration by Miles because Miles has done the Louis Vuitton travel book as, yeah. so he's, yeah, that's beautiful. I know he's, he's an amazing, amazing illustrator, storyteller. Absolutely. Well, um, my first experience in your gallery was a Miles Hyman show, um, because I was just walking around the Chelsea galleries. I, I never heard of the, your gallery and it was also very, you saw, open. you saw a light and what? you saw a light inside. You say, well, and I'm going also in. you have a very cute dog too. <laughs> What's your dog's name? Copper. Cop. Well, that's fitting. Is it for copper? Yeah. It's a very coppery colored dog. <laughs> and you have a little window area that, uh, um, He's there all the time. Yeah, hangs out, you know, and, and so, yeah. <laughs> I'm on Instagram Copper. because of my dog often. <laughs> I mean, people tag me just the dog. I'm like, let's talk about the art a little bit. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, when I just, you know, well, first I was attracted by this cute dog, but then I walked in and, and then was blown away by this work of Miles Hyman. And you were showing a series. It's all, um, it, it's the, a lot of it is like these very elegant looking women who are happen to be next to car wrecks. 
Uh, or some kind of disaster kind of juxtaposed um and and but yeah they're beautifully illustrated and uh i wasn't even actually when i looked at them registering oh this is quote-unquote comic art or illustrative art you know um i wasn't even thinking of it in that sense um or thinking oh this is a gallery that's devoted to comic art you know um until i learned more about the gallery um but yeah that was my my kind of happenstance entry into you know discovering what you do but what you just said make i mean it's it's very logical people will enter the gallery and uh, often enough and that's what i want to create i don't want them to understand that it's, my gallery is so different it's just when they start to move around and they're going to see the illustration because we often have Many of my of the artists we present have do large paintings on oil uh, using oil or, or acrylic. But um, when you move around the, the gallery, then you go a little bit deeper into the the artist uh, right. works, and and you see then it becomes more illustration, and then you see the strips, and then it all makes sense, and people click, and I'm like, yeah, you didn't think he was a comic artist, did you? Because in the U.S., it's still considered, but for you know the collectors, it's considered a lower art form. There's no, it's it's a lower art form. But you, you, it does sound like it. That's changing. That perception it is, is, absolutely. is changing. But it's a pretty recent thing. It sounds it like is. In, it is. It is. It yeah, is. Yeah. And I don't want to say you know the whole continent is ahead by by by, by fifteen or twenty years, but I don't want to say that. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's all true. Yeah. Uh, we very early on did we have presentation at the Louvre of, you know, comic art and I mean, or comic artists working within the Louvre to create a, a comic book. So to create a story. Or, I mean, there was, we never, it's, we, ne we never looked at it as a lower art form. That's all I'm saying. It's right, an art yeah, form in itself. Yeah, it's course, not a lower yeah. one. That's right, all. right, right. Well, uh, going back to when you, when you started the gallery, you know, and you said you, you made every mistake in the book, but, um, one thing that be, because you're presenting narrative art mm -hmm. and, um, I, we touched on this in the original interview, but the layout of the gallery and how you present the work. Um, and, and because at the time that we did the first interview, you had this, this group show narrative. Um, and we talked about, you know, and I asked you, uh, the, your gallery, it, you know, it has sort of, uh, I mean, it has this main front room and then there's this kind of long hallway, um, with a wall that, uh, faces the, the front door, which are glass doors. And that's kind of like a showcase wall. Um, and, 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 and I was, and I've, you know, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a pleasing layout or a, a layout that I think, um, facilitates, uh, kind of a narrative flow, you know, if you exactly. want to set it up that way. Um, when you, when you got that space, um, and, and, um, how did that come together? Like, did you, were you thinking directly, like, I, I want to lay this out so it's, it, it can, you know, works can be presented in kind of a flowing way that direct people. So, um, we did some works. We had some work done in the gallery in order to make it like flow better. Did you consult with anybody about how to set it up? Or? No, I, <laughs> my, I consulted with my wife. <laughs> we, we both get to it. And, and yeah, no, it was, it, the idea was something I didn't, I don't need a large galleries. I don't need 20 foot ceiling. I don't present large works, uh, or not that large. And 
exactly what you said. What I wanted to be able to do is to have this main room where I track the people. I put the color. I, okay, this is something you might like. And then it flows. When you get a little bit into the smaller room in the back, it, everything gets smaller. Everything is more narrative. It is more of a story. We try to yeah. put some text on the wall often and explain a little bit. And then the corridor also is a good way to go deeper. I go much deeper into the artist's body of works on there. And, um, and I agree. Thank you so much. It's a beautiful compliment. You just, you just made me, but yeah, it's, is the flow of the gallery is it's perfect. It's perfect. Well, yeah, for, for the type of work it's showing, absolutely. And yeah, a large space or like a large, like white cube, like gallery. It wouldn't work, it wouldn't right? Work it because, wouldn't work. Yeah, especially when you get into the, the, the strips or the, the, the more textual things, uh, you, know, per, you know, presentations, they would just be swallowed up absolutely. or, you know, in a, in a larger space. So there's kind of a coziness or an intimacy to the space. Absolutely. Um, and I had noted in that show um, on the, that, that sort of, kind of that uh showcase wall that you can be seen from the street you had this piece by this artist more m-o-r right right um just called wolf (laughs) um which was pretty you know and and it's this incredible stencil piece um yeah uh, Yeah, that that really jumped out you you can see it from the street it's beautiful more is an amazing artist uh her stencils are are fantastic and that's she's the only one who uh that's the only time in the gallery where i didn't present a, a straight drawing or painting i mean that was the first time we did uh this kind of art but um she came to me with a story and she came to me with what i'm doing is narrative i'm telling a story here and she explained it to me so simply that a three-year-old could have understood. And I'm like, my God, it makes total sense. And, and a, a craftsmanship is amazing. People don't realize it's, it's, it's a hundred of hours that needed to do the oh. piece that you oh, sell yeah. Yeah. to as a, an orange wolf. Um, it's, it's beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I want to mention to listeners that um for all my podcast episodes I put up a page on the um the website for Interlocutor. Um and you know, because we talk a lot about visual art and I wanna, you know, give references or at least links. So um I think what I'll do for this interview is I'll maybe include a couple I'll include this image we're talking about, maybe a couple of others. Um we can talk about it after. Um, you, you can send me some images, um, but I'll also, of course, include a link to your gallery site. So for people who are curious, um, they can just click over and then, you know, um, look through because of all of your exhibits so far, I'm sure are still up online or, you know, examples of, of yes. images and all that. Um, uh, and so one other thing that, um, I don't know if you've touched on, what about multimedia work? Cause you were talking about getting into, you know, presenting, Works that are based on animation. Have you considered that? We did. <laughs> or have you already? No, yes, we have. Okay. <laughs> um, we did present three NFTs by Elizabeth Colomba, who, um, uh, we did uh, an amazing graphic novel also, our, our first and only graphic novel. And, um, it's, she worked on a tablet for the for the book she worked on the tablet and we didn't we didn't have anything i really wanted to work with her but what what do you present so first of all she decided to do uh, 10 drawings um 
related to our comic books, um, one being pretty much uh, a copy of the cover, um, but uh, an actual drawing. And then we she picked three, uh, not page, three vignettes, three that were important in the book, and we decided to animate it, and we um, we sold uh, we sold them for. Ethereum at the time or Bitcoin, I don't, but, <laughs> but I'm, I've, I have done it once. Uh, it's a complicated process and it's probably not what I do best. Uh, I'm going to, I think I'm going to stick to paper and, uh, and canvas for yeah. the time being. I think that, yeah, that seems like the best fit for, for what you, you don't need, you, know, you don't need multimedia installations in there or anything like that. I mean, you could, I mean, I could. never say never to this, yes, but, you know, no, no, keep an open uh, mind, but yeah. now, um, it is more about kind of the, uh, yeah, the, the, just works on, works on paper, literally in a lot of cases, um, you know, different mediums, obviously, but you know, it is, um, yeah, it's, it's more of the style of your gallery. I think. Yeah. And it's already very complicated to, to bring comic art to the level. I would love to bring it to in the U S and to do, and I have to keep it simple. I yeah, mean, you know, right, right. keep my story simple because then people, I understand people get confused. It's, so I'm, I'm really trying, I'm, I'm going to stick to the plan and keep it simple. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, I get the impression that, um, what you're doing has been pretty well received so far in, in, in the, so, you know, yeah. the New York art world, because it is really distinct and there isn't anyone else doing it, Yes, you know, and, and you had said anywhere in the country, as far as you know, as, as far as I know, uh, but yeah. what happened, you know, often enough, you have a gallery that decide to, sh- to showcase somebody who does comic art or comics, but it's not full time, uh, but it's not really the full time, uh, right. Uh, shtick. Um, I'm hundred percent always. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. And this yeah. is all we do. And that's true. We get, uh, People from, you know, all the galleries, people from Gagosian coming and they, they see sometimes shows that are like so different from, from the, the type of, you know, the art we show. But the, the answer is, oh, they, they, oh, they are interested. Um, they are interested. I mean, it's, uh, but, and that's my, my gallery is about. And I always tell, if you come to the gallery, I will explain to you what's, <laughs> what was going on. I will yeah. give you a tour. I love to do that. And I think it's important. And, you know, to just present it on the wall and have a PR. Yeah. 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 That does a trick. But I want myself and my assistant to be able to talk really. And we are. We love when people ask questions. Uh-huh. Often enough, people go in gallery and they speak like very slow, like they're in a church. Yeah. They, it's yeah. so weird. I'm like, you know, you can speak up. It's quite all right. It's like, think of it as a store. I mean, we call it a gallery. I well, it's, it's, it's know, a store. It's I funny. Mean, really. Yeah. Well, actually, um, that is another thing that really kind of, um, jumped out at me, uh, when I, when I first, I don't know if I met you the first time I went there, but I did subsequently you know, just talk to you because you are there, you're present. And, um, you know, you describe it as a store, but it's almost like I thought of you <laughs> and I, and I mean this affectionately is like almost like a shopkeeper, very you know, much, very, much. Uh, very directly engaged with, you know, the, the, the patrons who come in, um, in a way that also, uh, doesn't really happen in a lot of galleries, you know, often, um, you know, uh, there's no one really that you can talk to, or there's just an assistant who doesn't, is not that knowledgeable. Um, and 
it's a little cold, you know, honestly, a lot of experience. I mean, it'll be great work, but there's no one really to engage with about it, you know? Um, and yeah, uh, so I want to just encourage anybody who's in New York and is interested in checking out galleries, go and say hello. Please. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, you're just very gregarious and friendly and, you know, and you will, talk uh excitedly about the work and but that's that's very engaging and it's refreshing it's refreshing um you know as opposed to as, a, as i've been saying kind of uh some of the the i don't know just the less engaged experiences that people have in galleries and then you know also just i think a lot of people who are not super deep in the art world or no knowledgeable about contemporary art there's also this level of kind of also a bit of intimidation, you know, big right? time. Oh my yeah. goodness. Absolutely. Yeah. People, I they don't know I, what to think. They don't, and they feel like, Oh, I should understand this. And then what should I think about this? And, uh, you know, yeah. and, and, totally. uh, totally. it, 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 yeah. And I don't really like that aspect, uh, you know, of, of the art world. And that's sort of the sort of like, you know, whatever these distinctions we were talking about before, highbrow, lowbrow, whatever, you know, but yeah. Um, I, I wish there were more kind of, uh, you know, singular shopkeeper type, you know, gallerists who engaged with, uh, the, you know, the uh, people who, you know, visit their galleries more. No, 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 no. I agree. I mean, uh, first of all, I mean, all the, the galleries in my street are beautiful galleries, very well maintained and, and everything is very well presented. <clears throat> and all those gallerists and their assistant knows the story, knows the, the, the artist and what they're showing very well. I think sometimes people, yes, feel totally intimidated. I, I, I have young couples coming and, and they're like, they don't, they don't know if they can say something. They can ask a, can they ask a question? What if they say something stupid? I say stupid <laughs> thing all day long. I mean, it happens. It's quite all right. You don't know what you're talking about yet. Let's talk also people prices. It's no, it's, it's never asked for the price. Have the price available all over the place. I mean, it's so much easier. People yeah. look and sometimes they might be interested, but if they be, be very clear, be, f- friendly um you know and don't i i mean and i do comic art so it's not like you know i'm presenting on a on a 20 by 20 can white canvas and there is a drop of blood in the middle i don't <laughs> this is a little bit more difficult to explain my, my job is probably easier than uh in in that fashion but um it's it's very important to be clear and also to explain to people. I mean, yes, we we sell pieces for thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, but we we have often enough. We have works for two, three, four thousand dollars, which is a large amount of money. I totally agree, but. It's not because it's in an art gallery that you cannot actually afford it. I mean, a lot of people have these things. They yeah. don't understand it. Ask right. and you, you will be, or look at the price list and you, you will be surprised. And it's very important. And I tell it to all my artists and in Europe, they are so cool with that is even the really the top artists are like we have to give a nice range for the new collectors for the younger guys for you know that are just getting interested this is very very important and i do comics and i want you know young collectors to come and and be able to get themselves to give do a gift or get give themselves a gift uh, without spending an arm and a leg i mean so we're trying really trying to to have, to offer large ranges in order, yeah, to, for, for a little bit for everyone. I mean, it's totally fine. Yeah. And and the artist is no snobism compared to that. It's totally fine. 
Right, right. Well, yeah. And, you know, one of the questions I'd asked in the original uh, interview that we did, and, you know, this is a whole, this could be a whole other tangent we don't really have time to get into. But, you know, you have this background in finance, and, you know, and I, I had asked um, right out of the gate. Um, and I, and, and about, you know, how your experience in, in the finance world translated to your experience, you know, uh, in terms of being a, you know, a, a businessman essentially in the art world. And, you know, you essentially said it doesn't directly translate, you know, there's so many differences and, and, you know, on wall street and in finance, it's a lot more short term, quick problem solving thinking, whereas, you know, running a, a gallery, it's a, it's a longer game and you have to think, you know, far, far ahead. And then, you know, also just, you know, we were just talking about money and prices. And, you know, one thing that has kind of always struck me is sort of this taboo, like like talking about money and and, in, in, in the art world, you know, uh, which is obviously a big part of, you know, the commercial art world or, or prices, but it's like, uh, oh, it's like selling, you know, the, the, the worked or, you know, the original, uh, whatever, uh, integrity or intent of, uh, you know, by talking about money and, and but, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. It's, no, I know, I know. if there's no money, there is nothing. And <laughs> let, let's get that straight. There is no gallery. There is, we, it's, it's, it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. Uh, something that is not right, and uh, it doesn't sell you. You obviously don't have that attitude, and you don't you don't present no. that attitude at all. Yeah, which is great. It's no, refreshing. no, 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 no. Which it shouldn't be. I grew up. Um, I just I don't just want to go back a little bit. But when my mom um, lost my husband, she was like. 29 years old. My lost her husband. She was 29 years mm-hmm. old with a bunch of kids. And she opened a, an antique store. And I grew up in an antique store. And there is a little bit of that oh, in an antique store. Yeah, that actually uh, really yeah. tracks. That makes a lot of sense yeah. now. <laughs> and, and, no, and <laughs> the way that you kind of handle the, the, the sort of the way you present yourself, it is, it is like a shop, you know, as yeah. I said. Yeah. Yeah. I, she's my, she's my model <laughs> as far as, you know, uh, what a business a shop owner w- w- should be. And, and, sh- and money was never, especially in the antiques business, it was a lot of back and forth with money. So there was mm-hmm. people were talking about money always around me and I'm, <laughs> I'm totally fine with it, yeah. which doesn't mean that we, you should, anybody should negotiate, but you know, <laughs> it's, I, I, it's totally fine. To, right, to, right. To, money is, is of the essence. Yeah. Of course. It's, yeah. You know. it, without it, nothing happened. And we wanted to unavoidably. So why unavoidably. not? You know, so you let's, let's embrace it as, yeah. as, you know, leave it, leave, leave it for what it is and just well, let's yeah, talk about it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, your gallery, it's on 24th Street, right? Correct. Um, yeah. And as you said, close to Kagoshin. Yep. Between uh, 10th and 11th. Yeah. Right yeah. across from Kagoshin. Right. So, yeah, uh, anybody who's in New York and wants to do, you know, a gallery crawl in, in Chelsea, and there are fantastic galleries in that area, but definitely stop in. Hopefully, Philippe will be there to uh, I'm usually <laughs> walk you through. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was great talking with you. Today. Thank you so very much, Taylor. Uh, it's always yeah, no, great to, to, be, to be here <laughs> with you and the interlocutor. I mean, it's I appreciate uh, the support of the magazine. Uh, thank it's you. It's really, really great. Thank you. And also thanks to those of you out there listening. Um, you can check out the online edition of Interlocutor Magazine. It's at interlocutorinterviews.com. And also check for updates on Instagram. It's at interlocutor.interviews. And once again, if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be 
a subscriber or um, just throw a few bucks our way via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site and I'll be back soon with another Interlocutor Interviews podcast episode. And once more, thank you, Philippe. Thank you so much. Thank you, Taylor.